Thank you. Thank you. Um, I do need to apologize to you uh, up front. I woke about 4.30 this morning, 4 o'clock, with all this stuff. Anybody can relate? Yeah, yeah. I I came in, and and Dan told me the same thing that happened to him, so I will try to be very careful, and I I asked the mic guy to help me out. Uh, My name is David Knowles, and I've been working with guys with addiction for a long time. I've been uh, the chaplain at Red Eagle Work Center uh, for about 13 years now. 98% of my uh, guys that I mentioned to Buddy deal with addiction. Addiction is a huge issue in our society. It is everywhere. This morning I want to talk about the fact that there are addicts in our lives that we love and how we can properly love them. But for a few moments I'd like for us to think about our society. In my own life, I have a family that has dealt with addiction at various points. I've got an Uncle George that was an alcoholic for years and years and years and got off alcohol and then got on uh, uh, Percocet, Percodane. We're on, was on those for years and years. I got an Uncle James who was an alcoholic. Matter of fact, when my Uncle James would get his check at the first of the month, uh, he would call down to the liquor store. My uncle uh, would pick him up. He would go down to the liquor store, and as soon as he walked in the front, uh, front of the door, they would say, Mr. Knowles, we've got your order ready, and bring the pair of trucks out with what he had for the month. So he was, he was really into it. How many of y'all, how many of y'all in this room tonight have had family members that may have dealt with addiction of some sort? Yeah. If you walk around in our society, you're going to find that addiction is very, very prevalent. If you've gone to a, a restaurant any time in the last couple of months, I promise you that one of your waiters has been high. If the waiter's not been high, then the cook or the, the dishwasher has been high. In the industry of car sales or any type of high-dollar commission sales, there's a lot of drugs that take place. If you work with uh, construction or you've been around construction people, roofers, electricians, plumbers, anything like that, there's a lot of addiction that goes on, a lot of drug use and a lot of drug abuse. Today I'd like for us to look at five kinds of addicts that I've encountered over the years. Now what I'm sharing with you is from personal experience. It is generalization. It's a reflection on the different things that have taken place in my life and the different people I've been able to uh, converse with. The first group of addicts that I am acquainted with are the experimenters and the thrill-seekers. The experimenters and the thrill seekers. 90% of people who use drugs do not become addicted. Did you hear that? 90%. It is a recreational thing. And you say, chap, why do you dare tell us that that number of people do not become addicted? Well, it's not so that you can go out there and use all you want to. The bottom line is there's a certain group of us in this world who when we use, we become addicted immediately. Biologically, our chemistry will allow us to get higher than anybody else. Let me demonstrate or let me share with you this part of my life. I have to be careful about opiates. My wife can take a half of a Lord tab and be zonked out for six to eight hours. 
I can take four Lord tabs and I am juiced up and I can work all day and I can do all kinds of crazy stuff. I will be itching all over the place. But it affects me totally different. By the way, it's been 20 years. Hallelujah. Okay? But to this day, I have to be on guard because I am one of those people who things work a little differently. Among this experimental thrill-seeker group, you've got all kinds of folks. You've got, you've got people from uh, the University of Alabama, students. You've got people from Auburn University, AUM. A lot of college students get caught up in this. It's looking for an experience, being part of a social group, being part of what's cool or what's in or what's fashionable. There are people who can use and can set it down and go about their life and be functional and relatively whole and presentable, and society accepts them, and it's normal. One of the dangers, though, is in the midst of our party, in the midst of our thrill, in the midst of our little binge, we sometimes get in trouble. We have car accidents. We accidentally do stuff that is very stupid. We end up in trouble with the law. We end up in jail. And that's the problem with the experimenters and the thrill-seekers. Is because usually the experimentals and the thrill seekers are working on some level of immaturity, some level of excitement. Being a thrill seeker is like taking a revolver, a six-cylinder revolver, and putting one shell in that revolver and playing Russian roulette. You don't know if you're going to be one of those who is going to be addicted instantly until you try. And once you find out, it's too late. It's like playing with that revolver and putting it into your head or however you would want to play Russian roulette and knowing that some of those chambers are empty, but one of them is deadly. That's the danger. A dan- the danger to the experimenter and the thrill seeker. A second group I'd like for us to talk about real quick is the drug dependent. The drug dependent is someone who has gotten caught up in the use of drugs, not necessarily to get high, but to get normal. In my own life, I started out around 30, 29 years old, 30 years old, I'm an old man now, I hurt my back. I herniated five discs. I had spurs on my spine. I was in a lot of pain. And I would go to doctors, and they would write me prescriptions for as many pills as I wanted, and then some. And if I didn't want to take them, they would act insulted. How dare you not take (laughs) these gifts from me? I know what is best. So you take them. Because you need them. And then you take them because you're supposed to take them. And then you take them because if you don't take them, you don't feel normal anymore. 
The drug dependent have, an a, have a tendency to be of, start at any age. You find a lot of older people who, who take the drugs that their doctor prescribes to them and they get dysfunctional. I've known a number who have taken the drugs off the nightstand and thrown them in the trash and within a few days start feeling better. Before they did that, they were about at death's door. Doctors have caused more people to become addicts than anyone else externally to ourselves. Opiates was my problem. I saw a study a couple of years ago, two years ago. It was about opiate addiction in the United States. It took all the cities of the United States and it put them in order of the, of the amount of opiate addiction that was prevalent in the society. Let me share this with you. The number three city in the United States was Anniston, Alabama, north of here, a couple hours north of here. Of all cities in the United States, I believe it was cities above 20,000 is how it was ranked. The number eight city in the United States for opium addiction was Tuscaloosa. Guess where the number 13 city was? Anybody? Montgomery, Alabama. The reality is that we are in the midst of a huge, huge drug ep epidemic. But a lot of the people who are in the drug ep ep epidemic, and I can't even talk today. No, I haven't been using today. A lot of people started not meaning to start. They had good intentions. But over a period of time, they became dependent, and they could not lay it down. And one of the hardest things about this group is they have a prescription, and the doctor said, I need this medicine. How dare you say I have a problem? How dare you say that I need to lay this down? How dare you say... I need to quit. I am justified by my prescription. My doctor said I need it. I can't get rid of it. Here's the thing. When the doctor finally says you don't need this anymore, there's this practice called doctor shopping. And I'm going to find who will write me that prescription. No intention of becoming an addict. No intention of becoming dependent but just feeling that need to feel normal and function. Third type of drug dependent, or third kind of drug addict, is the growth stuck. The growth stuck. And these are my terms. These are not scientific terms. The growth stuck is the group that I deal with the most. The growth stuck group comes from the experimenters and the thrill seekers, and they usually start at a young age of 13, 14, 15 years old, and they, they get caught up in the, the, the thrill there, and they're the ones who have an instant, wow, I like it. Where's this been all my life? This feels good. And we get time to lay it down. They can't do it. I mean, the thoughts get changed around where that's all they want to pursue. That's all they want to, to find. This growth stuck group, their addiction usually lasts from three to
to 20 years. Three to 20 years. It's a short-term group. 20 years is a short addiction. I hate to tell you that. This is the group that causes most of the problems in our society. This is the group that gets in all kinds of trouble because they cannot fund their addiction normally by working. This is the group that commits all the property crimes and all the different issues and fill our prisons up. Remember, 98% of my guys I work with prison have drug and alcohol issues, and they're not in prison for drugs normally. They're in in for something else. Because of the fact that this group started so young, the use of drugs retards their emotional development. If someone starts using drugs on a regular basis, a daily basis, at 13 or 14 years old, their maturing process slows down. So it's not uncommon at all to find a 30 or 35-year-old addict in this group who is emotionally mature as a 15 or a 16-year-old juvenile. There's hope. There's hope. All you have to do to start growing emotionally is put down the substance that you're using. You see, it's hard for a lot of the people in this group to live in reality and grow in reality when they're only visiting reality. This age group a lot of time grows out of their addiction in their early 30s. If they haven't outgrown their addiction by the time they're 40, there might be another issue or two that's going on. Usually about that age, life gets hard. It gets real hard. You start, you know, nobody's really wanting to support a 28, 29, 30-year-old young man who is capable of working in his, in his drug habit. Start to waken up. If things don't change, then nothing's going to change. And they have a tendency to outgrow their addiction. Now, did I say the addiction went away? No, I did not. If you're addicted, if you've had issues, you have to be on your guard. You remember a while ago I told you I had some issues? And I told you it's been 20 years and you all applauded and say, oh, we're so proud of you. Guess what? I have a wife who, if I have any issues, she, if I go to the doctor, she takes care of everything and she guards everything. And if I need to take something because of any other issue, and I've had surgery since then, she will issue things out and I have zero control over what I take. I have to take by her permission. It's been 20 years, folks. See, the mind is crazy. The mind is crazy sometimes. Um, I, I want to share something with, uh, with you I didn't share in first service uh, about this group and how the mind works. My mother-in-law had long-term illness. And she, uh, 
she had a lot of drugs and everything. She passed away. And my wife brought all of my mother-in-law's Oxycontin and all the Lord tabs and everything to our house because she was going to put it in our sewage and flush it away and make it go away because some issues at my mother-in-law's house. And she comes in one day, bebop, and has a gallon Ziploc bag full of pills, puts them at the foot of the table or foot of the, foot of the bed. I'd been reading in, in, in bed. And I said, well, what are you going to do with that? She said, I'm going to flush it. I said, okay. And then she goes and takes a shower. They were laying at my feet. That had been several years since I'd used. I had every thought that you could imagine of using there in about 15 seconds. I had to get up. I had to walk out, and I walked to the other end of the house and got, got out of the house and went on the porch and went on the carport and started walking. <laughs> I got out of the way. you got to get out of the places where you, where you uh, can use. That was a victory at that time. Fifth group, or the fourth group, is the entrepreneur. The entrepreneur is probably the worst group that there is. An entrepreneur is your inner-city lords, your inner-city drug dealers uh, who have all the bling-bling, and they have all the money, and they look really sharp, and they've got money is flowing like crazy. The entrepreneur addict is very much addicted to the lifestyle and the prestige and the power. The big thing about the entrepreneur addict is that that he's constantly recruiting other people to be addicts. He's constantly recruiting. He has to. He has to recruit. It's a sales business because the people he's already got hooked end up in jail or dead. There's a rule version. Usually in this area, that rule version is the meth uh, cooker. In a rural society, a meth cooker becomes God to those who are addicts. A lifestyle of money and power and sex and greed and paranoia and nervousness. Among this group, I find the most number of sociopaths. A sociopath is someone who has the inability to show empathy or experience empathy. They can do nice things. They can show kindness, and they can be compassionate, but most of the time, this is just a means to manipulate. This is who the war on drugs should target. Because these people are a great cancer in their recruiting process. There's a fifth group. The lifetime struggler. The lifetime struggler starts out with the first group, the experimenters, and he goes on to being the uh, the uh, gross stuck person. The lifestyle, the uh, the lifelong addict, who never's ever able to get out of it. I've noticed one thing in common with them. Not all of them, and I'm talking in generalities here. The number of guys who have been long-term, lifelong addicts who have... I've had conversations with 
and basically said, Chap, I've never told this to anyone before. And they usually t tell a story of tremendous childhood trauma, either physical or sexual or emotional abuse from an early age. A lot of the long-term addicts are not necessarily doing things to get high. They're doing things to forget and to numb themselves and to escape. The bottom line is there are a lot of people in this world who have had horrendous experiences. They just need to forget. You see, every victimizer just about is a victim. And let me also say that a lot of times addiction, drug use is not the problem. It's what happened in the past and what happened deep inside of us. This is the group I have the most compassion for. Among this group, I also find the largest number of guys who deal with some degree of, a, of mental illness. It might be very mild, it might be severe. Whether the addiction caused the mental illness or not, you know, that's up for debate. I kind of think they go hand in hand because a lot of times just the experience of being able to cope with our addiction gives us some emotional trauma. These are the five kinds of addicts. Now let me share with you five ways that we can love them real quick, and I'm running out of time. Number one, pray. Pray for those that you love who are addicts. And I'm not talking about just say a sweet little Jesus prayer. I'm talking about get on your knees and pray to God, Lord, do whatever you have to do to break this person so they can come to a moment of clarity and get well. Pray for healing. Now the thing is, when you pray that prayer, you better be ready to live with the consequences of whatever it is. If you pray that God breaks somebody, you better be ready to walk side by side with them because God may put them in jail or prison or a car wreck or allow anything to happen. It's not a light prayer. It's a prayer that needs to be done on your knees and in, and in tears and with deep felt emotion. Number two, cut the money off. Cut the money off. Every addict that is out there is a liar and a manipulator and will take you for whatever he can. Every addict in this world has a codependent. Somebody who is helping them make excuses and get along and get by in this world. And the thing is, the people who do it usually mean well. The number of mamas, the mom, number of grandparents, the number of wives, the number of girlfriends out of their love who have written that check and put money on the books and bailed folks out and look. You're perpetuating a lifestyle. I tell my guys up front, I am not going to participate in your addiction. Don't call me for bail. Don't call me for bail. I'm not your banker. Cut the money off. A lot of times people don't want to cut the money off because they'll have kids who have grandchildren. And if, and if they cut the money off, then it's going to hurt my grandchildren. No. 
If you've got grandchildren who are living in a household with two active addicts, your grandchildren are in trouble. Call DHR. I can't do that. If I do that, they'll, they'll hate me. We'll quit paying their rent, their light bill, and everything else and allow them to be addicted. Number three, examine yourself. Examine ourselves. One of the problems with the money situation is a lot of times we do things because we want people to love us and need us and appreciate us and be dependent upon us. Matter of fact, that is what's called codependency. One of the greatest enemies of addiction is a group called Al-Anon. Anybody ever heard of Al-Anon? Miss Barbara, you in here? Can you help somebody get in Al-Anon if they need it? There's Miss Barbara. The thing is, in our perpetuation of addiction in other people, we might have an addiction to our addiction is to the addict, not the substance. And we have to find freedom from our brokenness, from our neediness. Number four, show compassion without compromise. We want to help people, but we've got to quit compromising are doing harm to people as we help them. I remember, uh, I remember one time years and years and years ago, there was a young man, good-looking young man, good-looking wife, a couple of beautiful children. He had a drug addiction. Bad drug addiction. He got, got clean and sober for a couple of months, about two months. And he walked down this aisle and, you know, he made a passionate plea for, for help, financial help. I think he needed some rent or what. And, 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 and the thing is, I watched because I, I knew what was fixing to happen. I watched people put checks in his pocket and money in his pocket because they wanted to feel better about themselves and feel like they had done something as a Christian. The money and checks didn't go for rent and power and all that stuff. He went for drugs and a $600 tattoo. You see, sometimes in our desire to help people, we don't help, we perpetuate. As a church, one of the things that we need to do is we need to have point people in the church and let those point people be the people of resources for those who are struggling. We don't know what's going on with people. We, if we have not dealt with addiction, can be used and manipulated. Number five. Number five is that we need to become a community that loves people. 
One of the things that I am so very, very grateful for is the fact that the Landmark Church has been a church that has been open to helping people that other churches would not. Matter of fact, when I talk about the Landmark Church, one of the characteristics I talk about is the fact that there is no fear, or at least this church will face its fear, its leadership will. We've got to be willing to love people who might not be just like us. They might be a little rough around the edges. They might have a few issues. Here's a secret. You want to hear the secret? Everybody in this room has issues. Just some of our issues are a little bit more visible than others. A, little, a few of our issues are a little bit more sociable or socially acceptable than others. Everybody in this room has issues. We're all sinners and we all fall short of the glory of God. I'm thankful for this church. I'm thankful for RSVP. I'm thankful for the faithfulness of a few men who have put their neck out over and over and over to help the struggler. Let's look at a couple of passages real quick. I want to look over at Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 through 21. <coughs> Excuse me. It says, The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, and fractions. And envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now that's a pretty doom-gloom passage to read, isn't it? Yes, it is. But there's two things that I want, to note, I want you to notice in there. Number one, drunkenness is one of those things that keeps us away from God. Not having a drink. Drunkenness. Drunkenness is a lifestyle. Drunkenness is an addiction. There's another word in there in, in verse 20. Yeah, see, I believe it's witchcraft in this translation. It's sorcery and some others. It's really a Greek word that we get the word pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical from. Or pharmacy from. I believe the word is pharmaceutica. If there's a Greek scholar in here, please let me know if I'm wrong. <laughs> I think I'm right. It's been a while. The fact is, the ancients who lived 2,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago, equated drug use with sorcery. If you've ever been involved with drugs, you know there is a spiritual side to addiction. Let's look at another passage over 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It says, Do you not know that the uh, wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Now here's the deal. All, liar, all addicts are liars and they lie to themselves first. It's called deception. We get deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, there's that drunkard again, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now listen to this next part of the verse. Flip the side. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. 
You were sanctified. You were justified in the blood of the Lamb. That is the me- justified in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That is the message that we need to have as a living community of Christ. We need to share the message to all the strugglers in this world. No matter how bad they may feel, no matter how hopeless, no matter how helpless, no matter how rejected they may feel, we need to love in a way to allow people to experience the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ, to be washed, to be made holy. Sanctified means to be made holy. The thing is, if you look at all these things, these are things that we do not do for ourselves. They are things that God does for us. We're absolutely helpless to do anything except receive. RSVP. Stands for recovery, sponsorship, victorious living, and prayer. It's been a wonderful part of this church. Hundreds have gone, maybe even thousands, have gone through RSVP. I commend it to you. The reason I commend RSVP to you, if you are struggling anyway, is because there is no confusion whatsoever of who our higher power is. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. The 12-step program that Buddy is trying to put before the church as far as the steps, it's a wonderful discipline, a wonderful way to be honest, to be truthful, to let loose of resentments, to find forgiveness and to give forgiveness and to restore relationship. Of course, relationships what it's all about. Some of us, because of what's going on in our lives, we've had broken relationships. Our secret sins, our secret habits, our secret agendas. This is what I want to tell you today. This is how I'm going to leave you. But before we sing it, Sing a song. If you're in this room and you've been caught up in some type of situation, some type of addiction, I want you to know there is hope. It doesn't always have to be this way. It doesn't always have to be a time of chaos. There is hope that your life can be restored. I find so many people who deal with addictions that say, you know, chap, I can't give my life to the Lord. i got to straighten my life up first. Here's the deal, folks. You can't straighten your life up without Jesus Christ in your life. Where's the power going to come from? You've been power over your whole, over your life, for powerless so long over your life. Where's the change come? The change has to come not from within yourself, but from outside of yourself by inviting God into your life by saying, I surrender, I give up, I am powerless. Lord, save me. Trust Him. Trust Him. 
Stand with me. I want to say a prayer over you. And if you have some need today, I want you to be able to feel free to come forward. Some of the folks up here will help you. Let's pray. Almighty God and Father, dear God, you know our hearts, our motives, our thoughts, our strengths, our desires. You know our hiddenness, Father. You know us through and through. You always have, you always will, and you have always loved us, and you will never reject us, Lord. And we praise your name for that. Dear Father, we pray that by your Holy Spirit living in us, that you will make us the people we need to be. Help us to give up. Help us to find hope in you. Help us to surrender. So, Father, I ask you, please, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, whatever happens to us, Father, whatever decision is made this hour, I pray, Lord, that it is for our good and for your glory, both now and forever. Amen.